Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me. Today is not my show, however, but I am here just to give you the the usual uh, pattern scatter at the beginning. Uh, we are available on a number of different podcast platforms if you prefer to listen to us. We're glad you're here if you are with us live. We are broadcasting to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook. And uh, the chat is open comments are around you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com suggest topics suggest guests for us to interview there there it goes right there so somebody somebody just sent us something so we'll read we read every note all right today it is january 4th and it is uh, premiere day. It is opening day for a new movie that's hitting all of the digital spheres and video on demand and such. It is Monsters in the Closet. It is a new anthology movie that's got quite a bit of a story behind getting this thing done. And to talk about that is going to be the actual host of today's show, Christopher Hoffman. He's talking to Zach Snig, who is here now, and I am going to get out of the way as soon as I hit the right button here. There you go. Hi, Zach. How are, how are you doing today? Good to see you, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks for uh, taking time to speak with us uh, about Monsters in the Closet. Uh, it's a really fun uh, anthology film. Um, I kind of equate it to the old vault of horror comics uh, mixed with uh, Mad Magazine because they were really uh, published by the same company. It's, it's got a, a lot of uh, fun, dark humor in it. Uh, the Monsters in the Closet, that is. And, uh, but it, it seems that it was um, a different movie than the one that you originally started out with uh, in uh, 2018, I believe, right? Yeah, we shot... Um... We shot the, the, the wraparound was a different story. We basically, the idea was um, I wanted to do something for fun. I hadn't done something in a while. Um, so we kind of had an idea to do these short films and we had a wraparound involving a kid in the closet and all this. And uh, the movie was pretty much edited. It was ready to go. And uh, while I was at work shooting a commercial, uh, my uh, entire building burned down. Um, and it wasn't on a backup. Uh, so everything was completely destroyed. Um, so from there, uh, one of them I loaded up, which was the home improvement on a low res. It was a rough copy so that I was able to save. And my brother did, um, a zombie film. Um, and, uh, I said, well, okay, we have 36 minutes. Let's try to, um, try to reshoot a lot of some stuff and then do something new and try to get the project done, I guess, you know, it's like you put your, a lot of effort and time in something and, uh, in one day, you know, your whole world goes, not just the movie, but, uh, pretty much everything I ever wrote back in. It was Valentine's day on yeah, 2018. So. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, um, you said that you were able to actually say one of the shorts that, um, you, uh, originally shot for the film. Um, okay. and I believe, um, when I was uh, speaking to uh, Yasmin um, about the film uh, earlier, um, you uh, she mentioned that you actually reshot a uh, short that was going to be in the original 
film. Right. I believe that's the uh, One Percenters. One Percenters. So um, a lot of the, the cast they were in, but at the last minute, literally two days before we were about to shoot, a lot of them couldn't do it. So I had to recast like the day before. Literally, I was pulling up to the location and the lead male was like, I can't do it. <laughs> so we got one of the other actors that said, okay, we're going to like get rid of that character. You're going to play this role. But when you shoot low-budget films, it's pretty crazy. But um, each one of the shorts, I mean, they're different. That one, Home Improvement, was shot in two days. And at the time, it was a crazy shoot because the outdoor stuff, we were in the middle of a storm. Mm -hmm. So, like, just when you had the eye of the storm, it would stop, like, this monsoon. We'd shoot a little bit <laughs> and then run into a shed. And that's kind of how that whole film uh, got made. And then the next day, we shot all the bar stuff. But, yeah, that was a crazy shoot. Now, uh, home improvement um, involves a, a couple that have recently uh, purchased their first home, and, um, and with the intent of uh, doing a, a home improvement as they, uh, you know, uh, as part of like I guess their um, sort of like honeymoon phase, right. um, and uh, the the uh, house turns out to be uh, quite a money pit. <laughs> and puts uh, quite a strain on uh, both their finances, but uh, also the relationship. Um, it's it's a really uh, fun dark comedy there, um, and then the one percenters is um, is a, a a little bit of a, a social commentary uh, about uh, in, uh, the entitled uh, rich, and um, I guess it um, I guess it's kind of the uh, the video equivalent to that old pulp song, uh, Common People, if you remember that from the 90s, where uh, where um, a uh, sort of well-to-do person decides to uh, go among the common people because she thinks it's uh, trendy and, you know, cool to do that. Um, though, those are really, really fun. Now, the, the zombie film, um, yeah. I think that was uh, Please Kill Me Again, or No, right. Kill Me Again. Yeah. Um, that was shot by your uh, your brother Spencer, correct? So my brother and I, we both co-directed a lot of the projects, but that really was his project. Um, he works on kind of Hollywood stuff, so he's like mm -hmm. the lighting guy for everything from the Americans to the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And uh, so on his off time, his girlfriend at the time was a makeup artist. She's actually the star of the film. And she went from the Savini um, um, sort of makeup uh, school. And so we shot her, and they kind of do this as a uh, this kind of a project of love. And that was it. It was the only film that wasn't shot in 4K, so I had to blow it up um, mm -hmm. to put it in the rest of the Now, now, um, sort of uh, in your process of blowing up the uh, the film to kind of match the resolution of, of the 4K, was, was that like a, a, a difficult thing to do because it was like an older generation film, or? It's an AI program. Um, there's a lot of AI programs that can kind of blow things up. It actually adds the pixels and digitals. It takes a long time. It takes like a week, even with a fast computer, to do like a 20 minute film. You know, the computer, you just plug in the computer and it does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was watching the, uh, I was watching the screener and I really couldn't, uh, you know, tell the, the difference in like resolution between the films or anything like that. So it, it, it turned out really well. Um, and for Please Kill Me Again, it's, it's a really uh, fun uh, take on the uh, zombie 
sort of uh, zombie apocalypse movie with the with the main character having a very interesting point of view. I, I don't want to necessarily give away the twist there, but um, it's it's really really fun uh, with that one. Now, uh, considering uh, the the first attempt of Monsters in the Closet was um, essentially uh, burned to ashes, um, how hard was it to sort of pick up from that and say, I'm going to have to pretty much start from square one about this? I think <laughs> at some certain point in life, <laughs> you were like that in general because you lose everything after a pot. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you have to find a place to live, uh, things like clothes, <laughs> all these things. And at this time, um, uh, the film, the Home Improvement, that was the film, I, a house I bought with my girlfriend that we were working to fix it up. So I lived there for a while, like a year, um, fixing up the house. And I actually ended up fixing up the house. But I guess through all this, like, crashing here and doing whatever, uh, I was like, you know what? It's like, I want to get back my life to what it was before the fire. So before it destroyed my condo, before... You know, my film was destroyed, as well as my film library, a lot of equipment and everything else. So you just kind of work. You start from square one, but it's like once you get into that sense of not just the film, but your life, you, you, you just look forward and you don't think about what you lost. Mm -hmm. And that, that any advice I could give to anybody that, that loses pretty much everything in a day is just concentrate on moving forward. And, and I imagine um, the, you know, getting back to focusing on on the film uh, provided a bit of um not necessarily escapism but sort of you know pressure release uh, I, I mean I, I know film is very challenging to make but um you know you could turn your mind off of the sort of like day-to-day -day bills and just concentrate on the act of uh of uh, creating when you're living in a place with no heat and mice scrolling around <laughs> like I was the first year <laughs> to uh, either concentrate on your work, like commercials or a project like this. It's very good fun. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you you also did a new uh, uh, wraparound for uh, yeah. Monsters in the Closet, uh, and that was uh, that was shot in 2019, I believe. Most yeah, of it, or most of it was shot just before uh, the pandemic was, gee, when, when was the pandemic? The pandemic is, no, so 19, the, the house burned down, right? Mm -hmm. So I shot in 19, and then 20 is when the pandemic took place, correct? Uh, yeah, so around yeah. like March of 20. So we were almost done with everything except for the Frankenstein film by that point, and the pandemic hit, so then we had to wait through the whole pandemic. And then uh, just the beginning of this year, um, uh, of last year, rather, um, we did the Frankenstein film, so like January, February. And then at that point while I was on set, I got the call, they rebuilt the condo and I got to move back here. So the film got done, the uh, <laughs> my condo got done and the house I was working all got done within uh, months. It was kind of crazy. Oh, wow. It, it, it sounds like it was, but uh, everything turned out like in your favor uh, in, in multiple cool. avenues. And that's so so <laughs> um, Now the, the wraparound um, centers around um, the daughter of a, uh, a famed horror author um, who has created a, a, a new book um, by utilizing a, a black magic grimoire 
and um, he's translated or transcribed the book um, onto some audio files. Right. And um, it turns out that every time that um, you read the book or read the book out loud, uh, the various monsters or um, supernatural uh, entities uh, from the story come to life in uh, your very own uh, living room and apartment. And that, that's a really, really fun twist on, on a wraparound. Um, now, was that something that kind of carried over from the original Monsters in the Closet? or well, The original one was a boy, and um, it was saying stories through a, um, a closet. And he had a babysitter, and the same deal as he would read the story, things would happen. But there were a lot more characters, there was a lot more involved. And uh, there was another movie that didn't uh, we didn't do it was uh, Yasmin and Tom in a different film about she puts on a cat costume and it possesses her. But there was a whole movie theater and extras. The things were a lot bigger, so the idea was to try to make it how do we come up with the same concept and make it simpler. And I think the wraparound this time is more of an action film, whereas the other one was more quote creepy. Oh yeah, I mean uh, the, definitely the, there's a um, uh, a really sort of fun zombie uh, attack moments uh, where uh, Yasmin has to uh, run through the house and, and up the stairs. And, and um, there's, in fact, a, a, a really interesting uh, wa- uh, segment where uh, she becomes invisible. And that, yeah. for, and that now, was, was that a, a challenge to shoot, um, uh, like, logistically-wise, as far as, like, I mean, it was... I mean, I've shot a lot of green screen stuff, and the, the key is just to light it easy, you know. And for a living, that's what I do. I'm not, I shoot commercials with cinematography. Mm-hmm. I've done stuff like this before, so that, that wasn't... I mean, the, 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 the challenge was special effects, which, I mean, everything was like, um, we paid the cast, we fed people, but the crew is basically myself and my brother, and we work for free. <laughs> so we're doing, <laughs> we're doing camera, we're doing lighting. So, but special effects is not our forte. So it's like going through YouTube videos and just coming up with your concepts, and the concept of how does special effects work. It's removals. It's also putting things in and how do, how do you kind of make things realistic um, on the film? Well, we did hire some uh, effects people, Beck Johnson did some work for us. Um, and of course, I mentioned before mentioned uh, Denise, uh, the star sponsor of the film. So. Now, uh, speaking of special effects, um, that leads into uh, the uh, final story, which is a uh, a really fun uh, take on uh, the Frankenstein. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this time, our uh, mad scientist is is not necessarily mad. He's uh, his wife uh, refers to him as, as a perky scientist. <laughs> scientist. <laughs> and, uh, um, and there's uh, quite a bit of uh, practical effects, in, and I believe also uh, some uh, puppetry involved, like some animatronics. Um, Spencer actually did most of that, my okay. brother. So it's like he's an artist, crafts things, so he built most of that stuff. But he would show up on set, and he had a couple of ideas with green screen stuff, and I'm like, it's not going to work because... If you see his film, it's very dark and lit. Mm-hmm. So to do kind of green screen removals is kind of tough. So while we were on set, we had to work it out how we're going to shoot or to do his kind of uh, effects with the some of the creature stuff. Mm-hmm. But a lot of stuff he did in post, like the throbbing of the head, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was uh, fun to see uh, how many different uh, metamorphoses uh, that uh, that Mrs. Frankenstein uh, goes through uh, through the process of the short. Right. And it's 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 uh, and then she the very uh, ends up very uh, patchwork and, and stuff like that. So um, now was there any? Uh, I, I realize that Spencer uh, filmed uh, this uh, short. Was there any sort of uh, additional like ADR done? Uh, yes, with- some work, and but uh, you know his film was was different than how I shot mine as far as audio. For the stuff that I did, we would give actors lavaliers underneath their clothes, and as we're shooting with three cameras, we could hear myself and my brother. We could hear. Um, how well the audio is but him he liked to do stuff with the boom pole and other stuff so and john's uh, fidelity who played the mad scientist his clothes caused some problem with the lavalier he was a very sweaty guy too <laughs> so we had to find a way to try to get the audience so he had to do some uh fix-up work i guess there post. now uh you you've worked with uh john uh quite a bit throughout the years sure. um i i believe um well, the, the first one that I'm aware of was uh, back in like the late '90s. Was that your first uh, first meeting with with John? Or I've known John since like '89, and we used to do uh, we just mess around, kind of doing low budget stuff, films, mm-hmm. and uh, most of it was like shorts. And uh, him and Mike Rasso, who later became my business partner at EI Cinema, some people know Seduction Cinema, Pop Cinema. Um, uh, we did a lot of these sort of short film projects, but they were doing stuff for Comcast cable vision. They were shooting commercials. And that's how I met them. And they were just kind of funny people, as opposed to when I was in NYU, they're very serious art house people. So we kind of gravitated to these Jersey guys. And that's how we kind of struck a friendship. And we've been making movies ever since. Although, like now that he's a father and stuff, the other thing is very difficult. To, I tried to get him several times to come out for this film, but Spencer finally got him out to do the Frankenstein film, which was nice. Working after uh, kind of a hiatus for some years. Oh yeah, he, he he's got a great comedic timing. It's a really uh, fun, fun short uh, to to watch. Um, and then the actress that played uh, Mrs. Frankenstein, she was also in um, Beaster Day. Uh, yep. And, and that was the uh, the giant uh, mutant uh, rabbit movie that you made in 2014 um so was this your second time to to work with the actress or had you worked with her before Spencer had known her they're both pennsylvania people and he's worked with her on a bunch of projects including i think she's in the the zombie film that i don't know mm-hmm. now um you you said that you uh, started out doing like short subjects and, and stuff like that in like the late eighties. Like those were basically like shot on video. Um, and, and some were vi- a video, but some were filmed back then we're shooting okay. on film from shorts. Yeah. <laughs> but I think when we started doing, um, other things, we started working at beta camp eventually with seduction cinema and all that. Those, those kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you went to, uh, NYU, uh, to, to study film uh, there, but then you uh, then from there you kind of re- returned, I guess, uh, back to back to your roots um, with the uh, different sort of like uh, 
filming techniques and, and that sort of thing. Um, what I'm getting at is um, you had mentioned that there was sort of a, a very kind of serious tone at NYU as opposed to what you were um, sort of, I, I guess you would say, thriving under with uh, with more of the, the indie creative stuff that you were doing before. Um, was that... Do, do you think sort of like the serious tone sort of stifled creativity or is it, I mean, does it take no, it? It's, it's just, um, you know, you're looking for something else. It's like ultimately as a filmmaker or anyone who's telling a story, you have to be making something that's a part of you or extension of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's all. So it's like, I think at the time, I like to do a lot of campy, campy, campy movies for a long, long time. And I think after Beaster Day, I was like, okay, I kind of have that kind of off my chest. <laughs> like kind of make it intentionally cheesy and bad and this, that, the other thing. But I think mm-hmm. these days it's like, you know, you just kind of want to do something, you want to service the story more than kind of make fun of the genre itself. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I One one of the first uh, films that you did is it's got a great title and that uh, I think it's going to go in my like top five of, of great titles. It's the bloody video horror that made me puke on my aunt Gertrude. I think we shot that in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> on video when I was still at NYU and that film's lost in the fire. So I couldn't, uh, nobody oh, knows. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of films. That so now, um, con- considering a, a lot of, uh, or, a vast majority of, of the library was lost to to the fire. Um, how how did that uh, like uh, affect you as far as um, like as as far as like wanting to pick up and, and start again after losing so much? Well, the nice thing about when you sell something, somebody has it. So Beaster Day and all those movies. You know, some lab had it, some studio had it. So a lot of the stuff I did recover. Um, but it's like there's certain elements. Like there was some time I had a foreign sale, and they wanted what they call separate M&E tracks, and I didn't have it, so I lost it, like $8,000 over that deal. But um, no, like I said, in anything, it doesn't matter if it's films, it's it's anything. Uh, you know, when you get hit by tragedy, you just got to move forward. You got to think mm-hmm. about it. If you think about what you lost in, in the past and the situation, even the situation you're in, it could just be bring it down. So you just have to always move forward. Yeah, that, that, that's a great outlook. Um, now, you, uh, getting back to uh, some of the earlier films that you did, um, one of the films actually, um, I believe, is uh, Blood, Bullets, and Buffoons, uh, mm-hmm. has quite the accolade. It was. Um, uh, it was regarded as the funniest film of the year for 1997 and that by Joe Bob Riggs. Joe Bob Riggs. So the funny story about that, I was working at trauma films at the time. I was one of the guys who ran the video division. That's when uh, James Gunn was working there. Uh, went on to do <coughs> guardians of the galaxy, <clears throat> but he just did a film with, uh, um, uh, he did a film called Tromeo and Juliet. Yes. So we get a, a phone call from Erwin Sirota, who was our, uh, who was our, uh, he was our, our uh, rep, and um, he said, "Oh, congratulations on the great reviews." 
And I was like, oh, thank you, Romeo and Juliet, James Gunn's movie. And he goes, no, 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 the San Francisco Chronicle. I don't know how they got it. <laughs> I think Debbie Rashawn sent them a copy of it. But he did a whole thing on Blood Bowls Buffoons calling them the best it was cute. It was funny. It was like, you're like, I mean, it was like one of those phone calls. You're like, wow. Click. Now I got to get back to work. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it was interesting. And then, yeah. So. Now, you mentioned that you were working with, with Troma Studios. Um, mm -hmm. Now, did you feel that you learned a lot more by working at Troma Studios and getting um, your hands dirty that way as far as uh, making independent and low-budget films than, than uh, sort of the education that you received at NYU, or did they complement each other? I always say NYU is my bachelor's degree, but Troma is my grad program. And really, it was more about, um, I could always do films very low-budget. That was not an issue, but uh, learning the business side you know, it's like, and the one thing you learn even then when I went on my own with the iCinema, we would start uh, selling these independent films. We realize, well, a lot of films that maybe are critically loved and all this don't necessarily sell. And it's like, it's difficult to kind of, even if something might be great and something pure, um, that it doesn't have an audience for it. So um, for years, we were putting out, at the iCinema, we were putting out art house films but they never, even though they were in Tower Video and Virgin and all this stuff, people wouldn't even buy it. And it wasn't until we started producing our own stuff, which was just a strictly business thing, that the, the company um, really took off. And we shot a film for $5,000, and it made five hundred grand. And not only that, it was like a lot of these critics, they would ignore the art house stuff, but when we start doing kind of the schlocky Playmate of the Apes or uh, Mistress Frankenstein. Those are the ones that they actually started reviewing as well. So it was a very, it was kind of, it's a kind of a hit and miss um, kind of business for true independence. Um, so, you know, it, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting when people can also kind of do their own, when you see the, the Coens and the, the Jim Jarmusch and the Spike Lee really just make their film and have some type of, you know, a success in it because it's, it's kind of tough or anyone who wants to do, let's say, something about a farmer from Oklahoma and the struggles to try to get an audience for that, even though how, how uh, great it is. So, but, uh, something like Playmate of the Apes or whatever, it sounds like. Now, was it, was it sort of difficult for you uh, creatively, uh, creatively, excuse me, um, to go from some more serious type of films to the sort of uh, exploitation genre? I mean, was, was that fun to go? Um... Particularly when I was doing a lot of the uh, softcore erotica stuff, I was like, do I want to do this with my life? Do I want to keep on shooting this stuff? And um, yeah, I certainly at a certain point, I, I you know, we kind of had a divorce, even though we're all friends now with the ice and myself. And I started doing stuff for Lionsgate films and the Weinstein Co. But even then, that was the same thing. It's like people just, the studios or whoever, they just want a product. So it's kind of like you have to make films that sell, but try to put your mark on who you are at the same time. And I was able to certainly do that with Easter Day uh, from a camp point of view and certainly the new one. You know, the, certain, the new one, you're like, well, let me tackle some social issues, but try to make it marketable and fun and, and uh, you know, just really have fun with it, but also be who you are and something you could sell. Yeah, I, I really noticed uh, how how 
darkly humorous uh, Monsters in the Closet was. Um, and it's just, it's a really, really fun, fun anthology movie. Um, and it it's really interesting how it all came together out of uh, what was a, a, essentially um, a, a, a very, very tragic situation. Um, now, because of the pandemic, there was also a, a delay in, in, you know, putting the, the movie out as well. Um, how did you um, sort of like deal with, with that? I mean, was it just sort of like a hurry up and wait sort of situation or? Like anybody that deal with, dealt with the pandemic, it's kind of like your life is on hold. And same deal like the house in Home Improvement was a complete shambles just like it was in the movie. So I had a year to live there and fix up the whole place, eventually rent it out. Um, but that's kind of what I did with my time. And then in between, I still do commercials here and there, like wearing masks and all that. And, uh, but I think, you know, again, if it's like you get knocked down, you just have to focus. Okay, what can I do now? You know, I, my concern is if we get we have to start shutting down things again here in New York, I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> like with my time, because at least I always had something, you know, you're kind of catching up after a fire to get your life back to work. Definitely. Now, um, I, I, I noticed that um, for the poster for Monsters in the Closet, um, you, you actually sort of uh, outsource uh, some of the artwork um, to a digital artist in Germany, I believe. And that... She's from Europe, yeah. Oh, from she Europe. did a couple of um, uh, box arts for me before. She did Ghost City and something else, and she did a nice job. So I shot the photo of... Uh, of Yasmin in my actual closet. I lit it with a red light, and then I gave it to her with the concept of, uh, you know, kind of make it pop. Mm -hmm. Now, um, how how has uh, the how has the world sort of gotten smaller as far as like making an independent film um, as uh, with like you know the uh, introduction of like the internet and, and being able to like zoom and, and, and stuff like that and get in contact with different artists from around the world um, to sort of work with and collaborate with uh, as opposed to what the the stuff you were doing in the 90s um, which seemed that that was very sort of for lack of a better term regional you know kind of New York New Jersey you know of uh, uh, Pennsylvania, that sort of thing. Um, has it made it easier uh, being able to like contact someone, you know, um, out of the music, country? Certainly things for music. I remember years ago, I did a film for Maverick Entertainment and they wanted Tejano music. Which, mm -hmm. If people don't know, Tejano is like sort of Mexican style and we don't have that in New York. It's like the music here, it's based, if it's Latino music, it's Cuban or Puerto Rican based with a lot of brass instruments. So I was able to get on the internet and find people that um, it's also easy for locations, you know, like you could just go online and look at the location. Like Spencer got that castle, uh, for his Frankenstein film some, somewhere out in Pennsylvania, but it's like, you know, how do you find a castle? I don't know. So he was able to kind of find that through the internet. But at the same time, I think the difference was the nineties. I think when actors or whoever committed to your project, they committed. And I think with the internet now, it's like, you have so many choices. We had a lot of people just like not showing up. We're like, oh, I got something better to do, or they get another gig, and you know, there, there's more of that I think kind of going on. So moving forward, it'll be interesting. Like if you do a film with one actor and you have to work for 30 days, um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even even when we pay people very well on commercials, like they'll give, they, we give them a couple hundred bucks for the day, sometimes they. Oh, and, and certainly, you certainly can't pull the uh, the old Ed Wood and, and, and have uh, the uh, dentist replace Bella Lugosi, you know, with a cape around their face or something like that, if that happens. Well, particularly, you know, when you have a whole crew and everyone waiting up for this one actor. Uh, yeah. So. So. Now, now, how, I mean, I, I, I imagine that. As, as you mentioned with the with you know having the crew wait around and stuff like that and then you know someone not show up um is is there always sort of like a, a plan b if that happens eventually or is there gotta have a plan b it's like you gotta do whatever you need to do and we did it but it's like you know sometimes but i'll be on commercials where i'm not the director and they're gonna wait all day for this one actor who maybe just has one bit like he has to serve a tray <laughs> and then we're doing some crazy long take and I'm like, okay, like, why can't we get someone else? All right. Now, uh, you mentioned that you're doing like commercials and, and you also do music videos as, as well. Uh, Not too much of that these days. Now, most of the okay. stuff I do is commercial. Ever see the 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS? 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Mm -hmm. So I was the, the first commercial I did uh, some of the camera work and lighting on that. I do a lot of stuff that gets on the ESPN or whatever. It's like a lot of projects like you never heard of. And a lot of it's just local regional commercials. Now now do you do you approach these as uh like as mini short films or is it just something that you know no, for there I'm just uh service the director and try to find the way to light okay. okay. And and I noticed that, that also takes you like across the country uh uh quite a bit. So I imagine you're uh I was supposed to go to Saint Paul this week but I got out of it. Oh wow! And that now it's in in between your uh, the the commercials that you, you do and, and and stuff like that to to pay the bills. Are are you uh, like working on uh, anything else as far as like a a, a new movie coming up or? Yeah, uh, we, I wrote something, but it's still in the I guess the process. But I'd like to do it maybe sometime uh, summer. The we'll see. I got to get get my brother on board. He's got a lot of stuff going on too. So. But I liked it. Now, now, how was the collaborative process of, of working with uh, both uh, Spencer and uh, Yasmin when it comes to uh, making Monsters in the Closet? Did it take a, like a, a load off of your shoulders? Um, was it a fun collaboration? Uh, it's always fun working with the two of them. Um, and basically, they kind of push you. Um, like, hey, you can do better. You can do better. You can do better. And vice versa. And um, particularly working with my brother, it's like, shooting something we kind of always on this um at least when i was like the prime director we were on the same page uh when he was doing his own thing like frankenstein i wasn't even there for the zombie film but the frankenstein film i was just like all right let me just do the lighting and i'll service his story because he wanted to shoot at one camera and he had a certain way of doing it and i was like okay you know you do your thing and i'll service uh, the best I can. Now, were you uh, when Spencer was shooting the Frankenstein uh, short? Uh, were you sort of like available on set, or did you communicate through emails? No, or? I was available on set. I was working. I had a commercial, and I came to set because he was shooting mostly at night. So we shoot all night. Then, with no sleep, I'd go back shoot a commercial, and then come back again. And then I think it was done in three nights. His film. So. Oh wow. Yeah. So now. Uh, getting back to uh, your days at Troma, you know, yeah. sort of uh, shooting things kind of uh, 
you know, uh, 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 fast and, and not necessarily loose, but just sort of open for improvisation. Um, how did those years working at Troma uh, help you uh, in transitioning to like uh, with your own company and, and shooting on low budget? And well, It wasn't really a production point of view. Matter of fact, when I was there at uh, Troma, they didn't have any films in production. So I was there for about almost a year. So Tromeo and Juliet just had finished. And it, to me, it was the business side of it. So it was like okay. me and two other guys were running their sort of uh, like the the Lloyd and, and Michael, her, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael hers, they kind of just give the business over to kids. So, um, you know, I, I worked in music distribution. So it was similar working in VHS and DVD distribution, but it was like a learning curve. But basically we just had to go out and sell the movies. So that's kind of what I did, but that was the greatest thing you could do because production I've been working with, whether it's NYU or just little projects here and there, but actually the business side of it, that was what I really wanted to learn and what I really needed. And that helped launch uh, my own business. Okay. Now, um, w when you launched your, your own business, I imagine that had like a, a, a myriad of, of challenges, uh, not only um, as far as like, you know, producing uh, the the movies, getting them out there, you know, writing them, shooting them, that sort of thing, but also uh, distribution. Um, you, you mentioned that you learned sort of the business side of things through trauma. Um, did that bring you into contact with different, uh, you know, uh, like distributors and that sort of thing? Did, did, that, did that help you when you transitioned over sure. to DEI? Uh, at the time, every studio, whether it's Trauma, whether it's Paramount, whether it's they went through the same distribution. Some of these companies are still around. Ingram, Baker & Taylor, uh, VPD, uh, was it Waxworks, MVD Comset, ETD did all the blockbuster sales. But actually, so if you're a video store, which they used to have like 20,000 some odd video stores, 9,000 of them blockbuster owned, they would call one company like an ETD or Ingram to buy all their movies as opposed to going to every studio. So that's kind of how it worked. So we had to get accounts with those guys, which we did. Um, and then from there, it's like you just have to go out and sell now, how has that changed as far as um, you know getting the the film into scene with 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 digital? Um, I mean, it's a completely different different market, um, a different thing, and um, you know some of the big hitters are E One Entertainment, which put out uh, Easter Day, and uh, I wanted Gravitas specifically. Ventures was putting out this film because I knew they had a lot of direct accounts, and their co their company is doing well. It just got bought out for like 75 million last month. Um, so I wanted specifically a company that had all the direct accounts and also had a relationship with these accounts, as opposed to sometimes you give it to a company and then it goes through another company and another company and another company. So um, that was the point. But it's like anything. You, I just I went to their website. Uh, you know, go to acquisitions. Go to director of acquisitions. Like any company, you submit a trailer give a short uh, spiel, say I've done this stuff in the past so I can deliver things. And uh, if they think they can make money at it, which is the key, if they can make money at it, then you have a deal. If they feel they can't make a money, doesn't mean for someone like, again, someone who's doing a heartfelt story about a guy on a farm doesn't mean it's a bad movie, but it might be difficult to sell. <laughs> now, um, is, is there... Since you're just going, you know, from from your company 
and I'm working directly with with Gravitas uh, Ventures in, instead of uh, you know doing three or four different uh, you know subsidiary just dis- distributors. Mm-hmm. Um, is is it easier for you to sort of uh, be able to have more creative control, or uh, is there a lot of sort of like notes at the end of the day? No, we want this or. I think when the film's done, if you're an independent, it's kind of like, that's kind of it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get a lot of, uh, I think once you're done, you're done. That's true across your entire career as, as an independent. It's like when you're uh, in pre-production or you're working with other people and it's an ensemble playing with different producers, then I think that's true. But when you're an independent and you just go out and shoot it, it's like the film's done. So I do know uh, my friends who did Terrifier, which is, uh, which was a kind of a indie hit. Uh, some of the studios they wanted them to cut down some of the gory, gory scenes, and uh, that was their old note. But they didn't do that. They ended up going with whoever they went. With. Oh yeah, uh, that was with uh, with Arthur Clowney. He's it become a, a bit of an icon. Right. So George Stuber is one of the producers, also cinematographer. He and our friends, and we've known each other. He does a lot of movie projects. And then, now, uh, as far as like a uh, uh, relationship with like uh, various filmmakers and, and stuff like that, is is it um, easy to collaborate with them, or is it? I mean, do you uh, have like a sort of a, t- a tight knit, tight knit sort of a, a film family that you can like rely on, or not really? I mean, most of the st- most of the people I work with, they do commercials and they kind of stick in that world. I used to do a lot of network stuff; they stick in that world. And I was in the B-movie world way back when. Yeah, I worked with a lot of B-movie people, but now it's like most of the people I work with, it's uh, commercial people. They have no interest in silly movies about zombies and vampires and monsters. So <laughs> it's like, okay. Now, um, is it... I, I know there's a lot of creative challenges when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, making like a, a genre film, like especially with the makeup and practical effects. Um, do you find uh, working in, in genre uh, rewarding? So It can be. Um, uh, I thought this one was. I mean, every project is different, uh, but this was uh, definitely rewarding. It's like you went out, you had a concept and, and uh, you went off and did it. And uh, yeah, it certainly had its issue with the crazy weather, a fire and everything else, but uh, people recasting at the last minute, but no, it was rewards. And, and, and uh, Monsters in the Closet uh, debuts uh, actually today on a video on demand. Um, will there be like a DVD or a Blu-ray release coming up? I'm told that there will be, but I don't know exactly uh, when. Okay. Okay, and that's so yeah, it, it, it's a, a great uh, 90 minutes, uh, definitely uh, worth uh, worth your time to look at. Like I said before, it's it's a, a, a mashup of, of the old Vault of Horror EC comics um, and uh, with a, a bit of the uh, levity of Mad Magazine. I really enjoyed it. And, and thanks. Uh, thanks for talking with us today, Zach. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys having me on as well. Thanks. And we will be right back after a short break. And that, thank you so much for uh, taking your time with us this afternoon. And uh, we'll be back. I just can't imagine you reading racy adults. 
material. But you know what? You know what? I haven't. There's an author that I'm a big fan of, uh, and he writes a science fiction series, and he writes a fantasy series, and he writes a smutty series, and the smutty series is really entertaining. The H2O podcast, Monday night at eight, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Hello, everyone. Um, we have with us today uh, Yasmin Flores, and um, she is uh, the star of a uh, new film that's coming out on uh, January 4th uh, entitled Monsters in the Closet. Um, thanks for joining us, Yasmin. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, guys. Yes, thanks right. for having me on your show. Thank you so much. Oh. Oh, no, no problem at all. It's, it's a pleasure. Uh, Yasmin, um, how how did you get started uh, with uh, Monsters in the Closet? I, I do realize that you worked with uh, the uh, directors, the Snake Brothers, before on um, it, another part. Um, I think it was Beaster, Here Comes Peter Cottonhell. Uh, but that yes. was a, a, a bit of a smaller role. How, how did you uh, land this larger role for Monsters in the Closet? Um, what happened was that me and Zach were very like close friends. I met him like years ago at a workshop and we both have like kind of like the same taste in movies. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we both like scary movies and stuff. So one day he was just talking about that he wants to, um, make another movie because it's been a long time that he hasn't wrote one since, um, Beaster Day. And then I told him, oh, okay, cool. And then that's when I said to him that, um, I might have ideas because I'm always having like these crazy dreams and nightmares ever since a little girl. And I have like a notepad that I, you know, next to my bed. As soon as I wake up, I write down my dreams. And that's how I got the idea. I told him about it. I showed him my notepad, gave him a couple ideas. And then from there he was like, oh, okay, this sounds good. Oh, this sounds, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that's how we got the idea for this movie. So my, my idea was only like the wraparound. The rest uh -huh. was him and his brother. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, actually, I, I did notice that um, you are uh, credited uh, as a writer for uh, the, the Monsters in the Closet segment. Um, so you, you were saying that your idea was uh, the, the wraparound uh, for the film. Um, how, how much of that idea uh, was in collaboration with, with the brothers, or was it mainly your... Uh, your story um i would say mine was 80 percent, and then the rest was theirs or zach yeah okay so mine was not completely everything you know there was a couple of things that zach and his brother was like oh let's change this around and this and that i was like okay fine you know now um that's great uh could you uh, for people who are uh, just tuning in and are not familiar, haven't seen the trailer to uh, Monsters in the Closet yet, uh, could you explain uh, the film to us uh, just a little bit, briefly? Yes, the movie's about um, my father, Tom. Um, he used to be a great, a great writer in the movie. And then, I don't know what happened, that he started becoming bad. So then he went to this place you know, like black magic and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and like evil black magic. And then he started, he wrote a book, but not really like a book, like a, you know, on a computer. And then mm -hmm. he just died, mysteriously died. I don't know where, no one knows. The police is still like investigating. 
And then he left everything to me, his daughter. I played his daughter. And then from there, I listened to the um, the movie, I mean, the book that he wrote, you know, which is on the computer. And I just play, um, play on it. And then from there, everything that he is saying out loud is happening. So everything that he says comes to life. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh, I, I when I was watching the film, uh, for instance, there's a there's a scene where he's narrating um, a zombie film, and um, after the uh, after the story is over, uh, you're you're getting up, and, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, his house, which you're uh, uh, watching the uh, the audiobook from, is uh, invaded by zombies, <laughs> and so you have to uh, yes. you have to run for your life. Um, now, uh, uh, how how was that as far as like shooting in one particular lo- location? Um, because there's quite a few extras uh, as the zombies in the film. I think there was about like what, maybe ten or twelve, and it seemed like the uh, the location was like really rather small. It, I imagine you guys were uh, kind of like bumping into each other with all the crew and everything. Yes, we were. Um, that was the. Um, um... Spencer's um, friend's house that we used, and that day we only had one makeup artist doing the makeup for all those people, and she started like early in the morning, so imagine that, she must have been really tired doing makeup on all those actors and actresses. Um, we were there for a couple of long hours um, doing this scene, and it, it, I can't remember that much because this was filmed like two years ago, but I remember mm-hmm. that I had a great time and everything, and that she was taking her time doing the makeup and everything and the actors were coming one after the other, you know, and yeah, we filmed the movie and everything and it was great. Okay. Now um, you said you, you mentioned that this was a film two years ago. So that was a, what, 20, 2018 or, or, or 2019? Um, it was 2019 because okay. the original movie that the Zach had made an original movie. I don't know if you know about this, and it was already done and everything. And at that time, I was not in a wraparound. I was in one of the films. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, his, his condo mania burned down on Valentine's Day 2019. And he lost the movie because he didn't have no backup for it, meaning that he didn't put it in the iCloud or anything. He just had like a, um, um, how do you call that? You know, where you save everything, a hard drive. And oh, yes, his, yes. You know, yeah, so he, his house... His condominium burned completely down. He lost the movie. And then in the summertime, like around, I think it was late August and stuff, that's when he decided to go back in his seat and make the movie over again. But it wasn't the same movie. It was different. You oh, know? okay. And it not, yeah. He didn't so, want to so the... The, the old movie that he had for whatever reason. And, you know, so we just decided to rewrite it again and rewrite it like different. Oh, okay. So, so the Kickstarter campaign um, for Monsters in Closet uh, that was like from 2018, that was the one that was uh, uh, unfortunately lost during the fire then, right? Yes, correct. Yes, it was. Oh, yes, okay. Okay. So um, now I, I realized that you were uh, collaborating uh, with, with the brothers on the, this film. Um, since since you started from square one, um, I uh, I know that you're doing the wraparound. Um, 
from that time and considering we were with uh you know under uh, the pandemic around that time how hard was it to sort of like restart the movie from from essentially the beginning and it was really hard it was really depressing you know i was really upset and depressed when the when i heard that the movie burned down and i was like oh brother we have to film this again you know, because it was really hard work. You know, I, my, that was my second film that I had did at that time when we had filmed it. And I was happy and excited. And Zach had shown me the movie a couple of weeks before his apartment burned down. He, you know, he said, let's watch the movie. He showed me everything. I was happy. I was excited. And then when he texted me and said, my condominium burned down, I lost the movie. I thought he was kidding. So I was like, ah, okay, good one. But he wasn't, you know, then he sent me a link saying that I, it was on the newspaper, it was in everywhere, that his condo broke, you know, burned down. I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God, all this hard work for nothing. You know, I was really upset, not just me, but him. And then he had it to break the news to all the other actors and actresses. And he had actors and actresses that came from really far away, you know, a long drive to mm -hmm. um, film this movie that had burned down. Luckily, he was able to get some of the actors and actresses for the movie, the first movie, some of them, not all, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, now, were any of the stories and concepts from the first movie, uh, did they carry over into this uh, new edition? Or? Um, only one of them was, which was the one with the, um, the girl who's shooting the, her friends and stuff. Oh, yes. Okay. And and that was the yeah, only that one, one that was already safe. That was the only one that was safe, kind of. But then he, I don't know what happened. But something wasn't right about it. So he had to refilm it again with different actors and actresses. But that was the only one that wasn't different. The rest of the movie is all different except that part. He already had that okay. idea for it. Okay, yeah. And that story is uh, the one percenters um, about a, uh, a, a sort of a, a entitled... Uh, uh, daughter of a uh, wealthy banker who uh, is trying to, for lack of a better term, sort of uh, slum around with the with the quote unquote common people. Uh, so that one carried over. Now there are yeah. let me see three three other films in, uh, aside from the wraparound. Um, there's a uh, a take on a zombie film um yeah a uh a really funny uh variation on the mad scientist who's not exactly mad he's more perky than mad to quote yeah. the movie <laughs> and yeah. um then we have the one percenters and we also have let's see the um the house one i think oh yes yes the the, the home improvement the home yeah, improvement yeah. one where uh, a couple are trying to fix up their home uh, by themselves. And, and uh, it just is a uh, long drawn out process uh, because the home uh, turns out to be a money pit. And um, all of the stress leads to uh, a, a bit of uh, a bit of violence <laughs> between the two. Yes, they both go crazy. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, definitely. And that. Um, now, um, with, with this being sort of a quasi-anthology film, um, was everything shot 
during one specific like block of time or were the different films like shot like two months apart three months apart or yes like a couple of months apart everything was shot very like different um months apart especially okay. the um the Frankenstein one, something like that, especially that mm -hmm. one, yeah, because Spencer was so busy that he took a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, Zach kept trying to get Spencer to hurry up with his movie. That was the last one that was filmed, that <laughs> one. So uh, Spencer kept being busy with other projects and stuff like that, so Zach was getting really irritating and annoyed about this. It took, like, a long time for that last one, like, I believe nine months, ten months, you know, and then finally, the movie was put together. Okay, okay, because I I do remember in the 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 Frankenstein uh story, there is like a, a the use of like a, a puppet, like a practical effect puppet, and like lots of different uh like practical effects. I imagine that that took a long time. Yes. Um, yeah, it did take mm -hmm. a long time. Yes. Now, um, there is like a little mini story in the film. Uh, where your father is talking about um, uh, a person who becomes invisible. Um, now, I was just wondering, was that you in the film? Um, <laughs> yes, that was me. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, now, how how did that work? Did you have to put on like a, the the green suit and and everything? Yes, or? I did. Yes. Yes, I had it to put on a green suit, and then the actress—I uh, can't remember her name—she had it to make sure that she drops the the iced coffee in a perfect mm -hmm. position, because Zach didn't want to do it over and over again. So she, you know, she kept practicing with, I guess, with water or something, something different, and then finally, you know, when she did it, it come out perfect. So yes, that took a mm -hmm. while too. Oh yes, I, I I can imagine. Um, now now, how was it working in that green suit? I mean, were you like really confined with that? I mean, did it? How much did it affect your your performance? Uh, I was a little bit annoyed because the coffee was really cold, <laughs> and also <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to say this on on the air, but. I, I was wearing a panty underneath that outfit, and that was the only one I had, so he didn't tell me to take it off before. So when she threw the coffee, it went right through the um the outfit, and then my panty got wet with the coffee, and then I had it to go back home without no panties. So I was kind of <laughs> oh, no. like annoyed about that. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I, I can certainly certainly see why, not uh, just a, a unexpected uh, bit of uncomfortableness. With, yes. with that now um the last part of the film um there's a, a a bit of a reveal um where you have a a, a it, it appears to be like a, a severed hand um now yes. was was that uh the hand that was earlier in the movie uh, that we see manipulating the computer, or was that, you know, uh, a result of the uh, the Frankenstein uh, or the reanimated corpse coming to life after the Frankenstein story was coming uh, told? Yeah, the Frankenstein. That's what it was. It was not the hand that was in the underneath the um tough, right? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is different. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that was the makeup artist. She did a really good job with the makeup. It didn't take that long either. She's very quick with doing makeup and really pretty good at it. 
So I was in the chair sitting down doing that for like about maybe like 40 minutes and stuff or yeah, around there. Mm-hmm. It was quick. Right. Now, uh, were you uh, were you involved in like either uh, behind the scenes or uh, acting in any of the uh, other like stories aside from the wraparound? No, no. I was only doing my wraparound. That's it. The rest of the film, like the Frankenstein, the home improvement, all that stuff, I was not there at all. That was filmed like months later, other time, different times. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I was only there my wraparound. That's it. Okay. Okay. Now, um, this is your uh, your second film, but uh, would it be safe to say that it's your, your largest role in, in, in a film or... Yes, it is because the first movie, I only came out for like two and a half minutes and that's it. And I only had like one small line. And this one, I had more lines and I was working at least for like four to five days in this movie. The other movie, I only worked one day. Okay. Now, did you get any sort of a rehearsal time before or were you just, uh, you know, uh, studying the script at home? Um, no, I just went straight ahead and that's it. And I read my lines and that's it. Okay. I was just myself, yeah. And that, that, that uh, I imagine uh, that because of the 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 limitations of time and 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 budget, that really uh, played a role in the amount of time that uh, the filmmakers and you had to uh, get ready to go ahead and just you know get it on film. Yes, exactly, and also because I was the one who wrote, you know, uh, half of the wraparound, you know, so I already knew my lines already since I wrote it, so I already Mm -hmm. knew my lines, like, you know, (laughs) I made it easier for myself. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Now, um, and I've got one one last question, and this is kind of going back to uh, the the green suit experience. Uh, unfortunately, they are uh, there are no subtitles as to what you're saying to uh, the literary uh, literary agent secretary uh, when you come uh, down the hall. Um, can you give us a bit of a translation as to what you were saying to her? Like, uh, it sounds like you were like like really like angry. <laughs> Oh, I didn't really. The movie didn't put the soap title in the bottom. That's crazy. And um, that, um, I, but, I didn't. Um, at least on the the at least on the screener that I received, there might be subtitles uh, on oh, on when it comes out. Oh, so this is Zach's fault, and he didn't put that in. Okay, what I said was that um, don't go upstairs. Be careful. And what are you doing in my house? That's that's what I remember that I remember telling her. Then oh, okay. I had to go upstairs because okay. it was, you know, upstairs. Remember, the computer was upstairs and everything, mm-hmm. the monster and everything. Yeah, so that's what I said. Okay. But she okay, didn't understand cool. me, obviously, because she didn't know Spanish, you know. So oh, yes. she just kept, yeah. And that, and that, uh, definitely. Um, now, um, this movie, it, it's going to be released on January 4th, uh, released uh, yeah. digitally. Um, are yeah. there any are there any plans that you're aware of of it coming to like a, either DVD or Blu-ray? Um, yes, it is. Okay. Yes. It's- okay. Would would um are are you aware? Will that be released uh, on those like on Blu-ray and DVD at the same time as it comes out on digitally? No, not right away. I think it takes a while. 
they mm-hmm. come out. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I was, I was just checking. Um, now, uh, be, uh, excuse me. With with your uh, experience with the uh, the Snake Brothers, um, are you looking forward to working with them again? Um, what sort of projects you do you have coming up? Yes, um, Zach and both of them are working um, on another movie next year for the summertime. So we're mm-hmm. gonna be filming again all together another film. I can't give you no details about the movie. Um, Zach already has the script. I read it and I have a part in it. And yeah, so I will be working with them again. Okay, that that that's great. But well, we'd certainly uh, look forward to speaking to you uh, when that film comes out. Uh, we'll definitely uh, have you back on. Thank you so much, uh, Yasmin, for uh, taking the time to speak with us today about uh, about your film, Monsters in the Closet. Uh, we really enjoyed having you. Thank you very much. And thank you guys, too. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The movie is called Monsters in the Closet, and I don't think that it's uh, based on the book. <laughs> it has anything to do with anything else. Uh, this is a new thing. So, Christopher, good job today. Nice to nice to have you sitting in. Thanks for thanks for handling that. Oh, um, my pleasure. So, the pleasure. movie is available where right now? Um, right now it's available uh, as video on demand uh, through uh, Amazon and um, Voodoo as well as um, I believe uh, Vimo um, and uh, other video on demand platforms. Those are the, the big ones that I know of right now. Okay. All right. Well, we will keep track of that. And I think, are you working, you're working on a review for that for us now, are, are you? that uh yes okay yes all right so mm-hmm. we'll be looking forward to that and uh christopher will also be here on saturday you're going to be talking about what on saturday you've got a new box set and that yeah actually um i just received this in the mail it's coming out um actually on january 25th it's a huge comp- compendium of folk horror uh called all the haunts uh brs and it's it's great if you're into films like uh, The Wicker Man and Blood on Satan's Claw, all that sort of kind of uh, dastardly, lonely farm places with evil machinations by villagers. Evil machinations are always fun, right? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> all right. And that will happen on Saturday during Good Morning Multiverse. You can find that at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. And then also on Saturday, coming back for 2022, more episodes of Foreign Bodies. This is uh, Mrs. Walker, Mr. Harvey, talking about horror made outside the U.S. So we do hope you join us for that. And on Monday night, the H2O podcast is back, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. We're going to be talking about our New Year's resolutions of sorts. 
different plans and schemes kind of spinning out of uh, our discussion from last week from episode 350 of this one. So lots of things going on here. Christopher, thanks very much for being here and, and, and hosting and, and we will do it again. Oh, definitely. And thanks to all of you for being here. If you are in replay, you can still leave a comment. You can send us feedback through email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And that's going to do it for us. We will be back tomorrow with more here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. So uh, subscribe, have your notifications turned on. We'll be back. Remember, there are four lights. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.